Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. In this follow-up to last week's The Theory of Constraints in Ice Cream, Chris reminds us all that talent problems are wrapped up in lots of politics. And it turns out the key to all of this, whether you're like Corey and Chris and your company provides a discontinuous innovation, something that naturally could bring change too fast, or if you're the leader and something needs to change because it's the constraint and it's time to go after it no matter what. If you fail the finesse test, you fail all the tests because then the politics turn on you and quite rightly, by the way. Finesse is a very elegant way of describing the search process, reading the signals, reading the tea leaves, and understanding where the constraints are. Understanding that in this discontinuous innovation process, you're going to have an extraneous pipeline that's going to come in very rapidly at a flow rate that you're not used to. And finesse is as a way to almost like it's almost like when you see a bullfighter that has two, three thousand pound beasts bearing down on them. And he just finesses his way from one to the next and dances. And it's a glorious thing to see in action where internally they may be sweating. People underestimate the power of finesse and the reason that you need it. We're all machines when we sell. We're a machine that turns a potential opportunity into something that's taking a step. That's all we do. If you're listening to this and you're going, yeah, glory, the power of constraints. I'm in, I'm in, right? You probably need to spend more of your life thinking about and exercising the finesse components. Listen to this episode, The Power of Finesse and a Bullfighter. Because that reduction in the conversion rate is certainly, as you and I have spoken about and other folks, other guests on this show that are in the business of MarTech stack tools and weapons, is the intent of how the weapon, the tool was used. Well, ultimately, Chris, you know, connected cell, it's just not doing that well. It started off really well, but that's just, just not doing that well. And so tough time really justifying the ROI. And instead, what I hear you saying is those are signals that we should be understanding, being aware of, tracking to, addressing that are symptoms of where that constraint lives. Yes. Yes. And the discipline, the intellectual discipline, which needs to be turned into a management discipline is actually quite simple. Ignore all ratios, only pay attention to rates. And by rates, I mean things like flow rates. So here's a flow rate, conversations per hour per rep. Here's a different flow rate, conversations, same targets, right? Per week, that, or whatever it is. I like weeks because every week has got five days, except the recent ones around the holidays, right? But if conversations per week for the company as a whole. So you always want to have two flow rates. You want to have one for the unit of work, the machine, the person, and you want to have one for the system. So it's like when you're building a factory, you have, what is my flow rate, my throughput at max sustainable capacity of this machine? There it is, right? Well, how many machines do I have? And can I run them all the time? Because then I get my throughput for that part of the system as a whole. We can produce so many of X. And I need to have a standard for time. And my standard for time for a machine, like a rep, 
And sorry about you reps out there. The reason I'm calling you a machine is you're playing that role in the factory that we're trying to make called a company that provides value to folks, right? It produces something. So we are all machines when we sell. We're a machine that turns a potential opportunity into something that's taking a next step. That's all we do. We take this situation that's come to us probably as a company, prospective customer associated with it. It has some idea of what we might do for them. And we take some action and mutually we decide to take a next step. As salespeople, that's 100% of our lives. We're a machine that just does that cycle over and over and over. That's why to be a good salesperson, you have to be very disciplined because it could get boring, right? So look at the flow rate at the individual rep level of the first thing, which is conversations. Then look at the flow rate of the second thing, which is meetings. How many meetings per hour of prospecting for a rep? How many meetings per week for the team? And then go one step beyond that and look at the flow rate. Now we're over onto the side of the, the, a new actor, which is the sales reps. Right? We've gotten out of the world of sales development or business development. It doesn't matter whether the same person's doing both jobs or not. People get hung up on that. That's irrelevant. What's relevant now is in the role of an account executive of a rep who's trying to go from, you know, okay, this is really worth working to, we're either going to get to a deal or we're not going to waste too much time not getting to a deal. I've got the same two things per rep. Now, is it per hour? It's interesting. Sales reps are funny beasts. Their, their world has got a lot of time management in it. If you set the unit too small, the unit of time too small, they can't do their time management in there. I'll tell you, here's a side story. I used to be the chief technology officer at a company where our rhythm was once a week, you turned in your code, your code was checked into the system. And on Monday morning at eight o'clock, we pushed a button and we built the system. It was a piece of software we sold. The reason we did that was a week consists of five work days, but it actually has this miraculous buffer called a weekend sitting on the end of it. And so, if your work, which was calibrated at three and a half days, if all went well, if it didn't all go well and you had bugs or you had to fix stuff or you found out concepts were wrong or whatever, you effectively had another half week, you know, the other half of the week to fix it. So for years, we went along, we released product like this. Every Monday, we had a new release every Monday. Then they got a, a new guy in and they said, Chris, you don't know how to do this stuff. You're kind of a very relaxed form of management. We don't like it. So we got a guy in from Big Co. And he said, well, you're doing this all wrong. We have to do it by the hour. <laughs> well, for a software developer, an hour is not enough time to do meaningful time management trade-off within the hour. So if you have something you have to do every hour, you're going to find yourself with things that didn't get done in the hour. And now those things create chaos because they have to be handled later, but they weren't scheduled for that next hour, right? So when you're looking at sales reps, your unit goes up from an hour, which is natural for having conversations, setting meetings. You got to go up to something bigger. It's either a week or a month. It can't meaningfully be a quarter unless you just have you know, a handful of huge strategic accounts. Mm -hmm. but, it's, but think about it this way. I want to know the flow rate of transactions because now that's the end state. 
in this unit of time that has enough time management flex in it that I can hold the rep and they can hold themselves accountable for managing that time in such a way that the outcomes will occur predictably, right? It's called making quota. So I I do it for the individual and then I do it for the whole team over another time unit that is more externally focused. So Mm -hmm. it's probably a quarter, right? That's kind of all you need is flow rates. Conversion rates will delude you because you'll believe that your historical conversion rates were not associated with choices that folks were making in the process that are called quality choices. So, you know, if I'm running a machine in a factory and I take every blank that comes in and it goes into the machine and I hit the button and see what comes out, I get one conversion rate. If, if I allow the machine operator to inspect each blank and think and compare it to the other ones and file a little bit off and do this and that, then I get another conversion rate. I actually, unless my material cost is high, I don't care. <laughs> right. I don't care. What I care about is the flow rate because mm-hmm. downstream, I can depend on flow rates at a known quality, but I can't depend on having this sort of, I like this one better than that one process, which is highly variant across the processors. Yeah. So yeah. we have to do this when we pick customers. You and I are in peculiar businesses. Mm-hmm. Right? We're in the business of saying, uh, so, you know, grandma's 15 miles an hour was probably good enough for you because it kept things calm. What do you think of 150 miles an hour? Well, it sounds so good, but we actually have to throttle it back and we have to flow rate match with the downstream flow because it can only change so fast. And now you're down to the key question in business. Anybody in business should know this question about their company. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and sell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible Whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. And we're back with Corey and Chris. What is our cycle time for minor change? And what's our reliability, which is in this case, quality? What are the odds of us making a minor change and actually achieving the goals of that change? What is the cycle time for major change? And what's our reliability for major change? If you're a young company, you don't have an answer to the second question. (laughs) You don't. The major change was you created your company. The fact is you're still alive. And people sometimes think, oh, Chris, you're kind of over-mechanized in this stuff. Well, trust me, the world itself is highly mechanized. (laughs) It operates according to rules. It's like gravity, right? You don't have to believe in it. It believes in you. That's right. Theory of constraints. You don't have to believe in it. It believes in you. No, that's fascinating stuff, Chris, because we certainly talk about that in, I think, virtually every guest and virtually every episode that we've had over these years, right? Hope springs eternal. And we all unwrap that new gift 
of whether it be outreach or Zoom or Connected Cell or Branch or PRLs or it doesn't matter what the new flavor of the of the day is. We all as sales leaders, as executives, we write that check. We get our CFO to pay that man his money, pay that woman their money, their due, because this is going to be worth it on the back end. Trust me, I believe in that certainty that they have that this is going to help, right? Uh, We do it with bankers. Of all the bankers, I'm going to pay that man his money because he's going to help me take me to the promised land and raise my three and a half million on a 20 million valuation, right? We believe that. And knowing that, hey, Chris, I went through 50 pitches and I don't have any money yet. What's going on? Are you the right banker for me? Is this the pitch? Is this? You know what I think it is? Maybe I should choose bank to different jockey. Maybe it's a different horse. And, and so it's so prevalent. But what you certainly taught me over these 15, 20 years that we've known each other, right, is just believe in the math. Don't get emotional about the math, right? The math is just math. But what are you going to do? You can bury your hand in the sand about what the math tells you because it doesn't fit your narrative. It doesn't fit what your confirmation bias, as you set out to be, which is certainly another dangerous thing, right? You and Jerry Hill certainly talk about confirmation bias a lot. We're in the business of disproving confirmation biases, certainly with what it is that we set out to do oftentimes. And I think theory of constraints is is an evil step twin to, <laughs> to, to, to that theory. Yeah, confirmation bias and survivorship bias are both incredibly powerful phenomena, and they're very common, and we exercise them together. Ignoring the fact that there's only one constraint is another, it's a version of those things. For sure. And then then it gets hard, right? I mean, systems have constraints, but projects, they do too. And change is always a project, but it's not a project that has a constraint like a system constraint. A project has a constraint called the critical path. And if you don't have practice in understanding the nature of that constraint, you won't do what you need to do. I mean, here's a, here's a lesson on projects. Anybody wants to know how to do projects, here's it. Identify the critical path and overfeed the feeders to the critical path early. It feels wasteful, but it's the only way to buy insurance against Murphy's Law. And Murphy's Law is inviolable. Mm-hmm. So you either do it that way or you deal with delays. Right. But it's kind of your choice. But the constraint isn't going. It is the constraint. Imagine a project without a critical path. It's a nonsense concept. Right. We're a little easier with that, although it's harder to manage. We're a little less comfortable thinking a system has a constraint because the system always has people involved in making the system work. And the politics Mm -hmm. around the constraint is people feel like you're saying they're unimportant. Yes, because you're not working, you're not investing on their part of the business. What teams need to know is this. If you're if you're managing the stuff and you're the leader, this is kind of a show for leaders today. So if you're the leader, your job is actually to go, hey, we're going to identify the constraint. We're going to characterize it. We're going to figure out what's investable. We're going to invest in it. We're going to watch the flow rate increase. We're going to make sure the quality doesn't go down because that's one way to increase the flow rate too. That's the cheaty way to do it is reduce quality. And then we're going to step back and our discipline is going to be to watch the system until it shows us its next constraint. And it'll do that by having inventory build up in front of that particular step in the process, and it'll be starved downstream. 
And we're going to do this over and over and over. And our competition is not going to do it quite as rigorously as us. And we will crush them in the end, as long as we make a point of not running out of money. Right? We've had a whole episode about that. Yep. Overhead, the racehorse that eats while you sleep, right? Okay. So great. But wait, the whole business of doing that implies that everybody else keeps doing their job, right? So Corey's going to fish. We're going across the ocean. We're going to go across the Pacific in a rowboat. But it turns out there's a project every once in a while called Get Some Food for the Crew. And that project requires that our most skilled fishermen, our Sicilian, Corey Frank, go get us some fish, right? So while Corey is fishing, the rest of us need to keep rowing. It doesn't do any good to say, I sure wish I were the fisherman right yes. now. We have an oar. We have to row. And if we don't keep rowing, though our boat loses way. And when boats lose way, they can't be steered. And then we have a serious problem because Corey can't even fish because he's saying the fish are over there. And we can't steer That's the boat. Right. That's right. right? So it's, this is actually like the deepest trick of leadership is in a world where, as a matter of fact, we must address only one thing in our business at a time, we need to establish a culture that says, for almost everybody, I'm okay, keeping on, keeping on. It'll be my turn someday. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. It is. Especially if you're a biz dev in an organization who says, hey, listen, I've listened to Chris's calls. I can do a discovery process as good as he can. And I know more about the product than he does. And all these guys want me to do is just dial the phone and talk to strangers and ask them for time. I don't even get to ask them for money. I get to ask them for time every day. And so I can imagine, especially for those that weren't promoted last year, a lot of managers are probably hearing from their folks or if they're showed up, if they showed up at all this week, sometimes people choose to talk with their feet and maybe they're at a different zip code here coming into the new year just because of that. Yeah. Sean McLaren once walked up to a whiteboard, right? He's our, our executive chairman. He was CEO, founder of the company. And he and I were just getting to know each other. And I had a kind of a niggly problem I was trying to solve. It was a political problem that manifested itself as a wrong personnel doing what needed to be done. It was a talent problem. Hmm. But all talent problems are wrapped up in lots of politics because everybody knows each other and they've been around, you know, and I'm the new guy. I, I just joined. That was probably... I was a week and a half in and I'm pretty impatient for change. And so I'm saying, Hey, we got to make this change, this change and do this and think about this. And I'm kind of ragging on him and he doesn't say a word. He gets up from his desk, walks up to the whiteboard and writes in large, you have to know Sean. It's pretty fun to watch him do this big block letters, not the most beautiful handwriting in the world, but very clear and very emphatic. Oh, and he had to erase part of the award because he had stuff all over it. One word, finesse. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out the key to all of this, whether you're like Corey and me and your company provides a discontinuous innovation, something that naturally could bring change too fast, or whether you're the leader and you know something needs to change because it's the constraint and it's time to go after it. No matter what, if you fail the finesse test, you fail all the tests because then the politics turns on you. And quite rightly, by the way, this isn't complaining about politics. It's like saying, gosh, I sure wish there were no people in my company. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> that's right. I love that finesse. That's really a very elegant way of describing 
the search process, reading the signals, reading the tea leaves, understanding where the constraints are, understanding that in this discontinuous innovation process you're going to have of extraneous pipeline that's going to come in very rapidly at, at a flow rate that I'm not used to. It's first going to become novel, and then it's going to come very, very, very stressful. And finesse is, I really like that term, Chris, is a way to, almost like when you see a bullfighter, they have this big two, 3,000 pound beast that's bearing down at you and the bullfighter isn't sweating and it's just just finesses his way from one to the next and dances right and it's just it's a glorious thing to see in action where internally they may be sweating but that that bullfighter example of finesse i think is very appropriate for what you're describing it is and i think people underestimate the power of finesse and the reason that you need it so the more mathematically inclined you are that is, if you're listening to this and you're going, yeah, yeah, you know, gold grab, theory of constraints, I'm in, I'm in, right? You probably need to spend more of your life thinking about and exercising the finesse components. If, Especially as a leader, I would imagine, right? Yeah, I mean, because you're now going to become part of the other problem, which is using the word should. Well, you should or shouldn't care about the fact that I'm ignoring all of you and we're only paying attention to this. Well, when you find yourself using the word should in business, especially about either your employees or your customers, you're you're making a, a pretty substantial error, which is you're basically saying, well, they should. It's a moral term, by the way. It's It's not an operational term, right? And they aren't. Therefore, they're bad. They are the problem. And I am the solution. And when you kind of turn that ratchet long enough, you get dysfunctional autocracies that can't solve real problems. Now, every once in a while, you'll get somebody who can shoot it out, so to speak, and just rule over everybody by some, you know, dint of personality and the fact that they don't care about people or whatever it happens to be. If you're trying to make a real organization that's robust against a whole bunch of things that are happening, you have to allow people room to make decisions, especially about managing their time. You Really, the main thing you're allowing folks to do when you're saying, my organization is going to be highly functional, is you're saying, I trust you to manage your time so you can apply your skill. It's not, I trust you to apply your skill to the tasks I assign to you. That's not it at all. It's like, no, within bounds of what we can stomach together of being able to measure some flow rate somewhere that tells us whether it's going or not going, right? Within that, I'm going to let you manage your time. In fact, I'm not going to interfere with that at all. That's why I'm not a big fan of having lots of regular meetings because they take away from people's ability to manage their time. Yeah. You're managing their time for them. Yeah. Speaking of Sean McLaren, Sean McLaren's calling me right now. <laughs> so, so why don't you wrap up, Corey? Well, I think it's very appropriate that, yes, the executive chairman calls and says, hey, what are you doing spending all the time on the podcast? So for the Market Dominance guys, this is Corey Frank with Chris Beal and a very brief but timely episode of The Theory of Constraints. Chris, until next time. Thanks, Corey. <laughs> Loved it, as always. <laughs> Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. 
So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Mm-hmm.